Amen, amen. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> so I would like for you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, if you have a copy of God's Word. And uh, we are we're working through this uh, interesting and sometimes uh, often complicated book of Ecclesiastes as King Solomon is basically trying to wrestle through the meaning of life coming from someone who had it all, experienced it all, tried everything he could under the sun to try to discover meaning and purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment. And, and at the end of the day, his final conclusion was, you know what, everything that man can try to do to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment is nothing but a, a chasing after the wind. It's like trying to grasp, grasp smoke. It's like you reach up and you see it and you grab it, and yet it's just, it's just passing away. It just evaporates into the air. It's fleeting. It's temporary. And I think that we get so much benefit from studying this book because we live in a world today that is sending a message to us, and then and like Solomon said, the message, there's really nothing new with the message that the world is sending us. The message is YOLO. You only live once. Get it while you can. Make yourself happy. If it feels good, do it. So these are, these are messages that we're getting from the world today trying to, to, to um, peddle to us a, uh, a way of living our life that is very, very appealing and, and very, very attractive. And, and what we read here in the book of Ecclesiastes is that there's really nothing new under the sun. It's the same message that has been coming uh, from the world and from the enemy from the very beginning, but the thing about our generation and our world is that, that we just have so much more access to these things. We see them. It's the social media. It's the television. It's the radio. It's the Hollywood. It's, the, it's what's going on in our culture. It's everywhere that you turn. It's advertisements. You can't even drive up and down the interstate without seeing a billboard with some type of an ad that's trying to tell you what you need to make yourself what? Happy or to fix your problems. And so it's just, it's, it's in our face, it's, in, it's unavoidable. We live in this, in this culture where it's just everywhere, immersed in this culture that's trying to tell us, hey, everyone out here, you're looking for something, you're looking for happiness, you're looking for joy. And the world has its options. And that's what it's offering us. And if we're honest, all of us, to some level and to some extent, have tried to find that satisfaction and that happiness the world's way. Some of you in here today maybe still are trying to find that meaning and that purpose and that happiness and that joy and that satisfaction the world's way. And <clears throat> I think that there is a major misperception that the world has done a very good job creating, especially in our young people, but it, it really goes across the board to all ages and, and generations. But that message is, is that, you know, well, there's a couple of them. You know, one of them that I think is the dangerous message is, you know, when you're young, that's when you get to sow your what? Sow those wild oats, Right? You know, get all the good, fun times out of your system. Go, you know, have these illicit relationships. Go try the world's thing. Go, go do all the drinking and the drugs and the partying and chasing the money and all that kind of stuff. You just you get it out of your system. You sell your wild oats. And then, and then when you get older, then you can what? Then you can settle down and maybe start focusing on things like your faith and starting a family and, and all those kind of things. But we forget. What, what does the Bible say? But you reap what you sow. And so many of us who maybe bought into that lie, or, or whether it was intentionally or not, I bought into that lie as a young person, you know, is that many, many of us are suffering the consequence, we're reaping the consequences of those wild oats that we what? That we sowed when we were younger. 
Now, forgiven, yes, but, but the consequences are still what? Still there. And that's one of the lies that, that the world tries to peddle to us. But another lie that, that the world tries to peddle to us is that, you know, uh, because there's this stereotype that comes with religious people, and I understand that stereotype holds true for a reason for a lot of, for a lot of religious people, and I'm using that word, that word intentionally, is that the religious people of our culture many times are labeled as joy kills. That, oh, you don't want to be like those hard-shelled Baptists, or you don't want to be like those, uh, you know, whatever, those Christians over there, because, you know, they don't have any what? They don't have any fun. They're just dull and sticks in the mud, and they just, they just suck the joy out of you, and, and they're so legalistic, right? And it's like, and so there's this misperception from the world's perspective, from people who are, who are outside of a relationship with God, and sometimes they look at the church, or they look at Christianity or religion in general, and they're saying, you know what, why would I want to go and be a part of something that's going to kill my buzz, kill my joy? I'm having fun. I'm living it up. I'm sowing my wild oats. I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying and taking pleasure in all the things of this world. And if I have to go and, and join this institution or give my life to God, then he's going to kill and steal all my what? All that joy that I'm having in life. And that's the question of my message today. Is it, is God a joy killer or is he really a joy filler? And that's, that's what a Solomon is, is trying to get at here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So, so let's answer that question together and we'll work through some of this as we go along. I'm, I'm going to read just really the first um, 11 verses and then you know, we'll go on from there. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But if, you're, if you have your Bible, you can look at Ecclesiastes 2. King Solomon, it says, look at what he says. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Does that sound familiar? Do whatever it is that makes you what? Happy. If it feels good, do it. Don't withhold anything from yourself. Solomon's testing this now. He's like, okay, I'm going to put this to the test. Come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was. He said, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, you know, I tried to see what it was like to, to indulge in, in a little bit of drinking, getting drunk, enjoying the, the revelry that comes with alcohol. Now my heart still had wisdom within me, you know, I didn't. I didn't lose myself to the point where I didn't still have some wisdom. That's what he's trying to say. But, you know, I wanted to see what this life was like about, you know, let's test out this, this drug and alcohol thing. Let's see if it really fulfills. How to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Verse 4, he said, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees and made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female servants, and I had servants who were born in my house, and, and, and I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. And I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, and I got singers, entertainment, right? both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep, them, keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and that was my reward for my Toil, and then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, everything was meaningless, a striving or a chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So is God a joy killer or is he a joy filler? 
So let's talk through this a little bit. The first thing that I see in this passage is that we need to acknowledge that God created us with natural desires. And, and let's don't miss this, okay? God created us with a natural desire to enjoy the physical pleasures of life. But here's the key. But he only designed us in the way, I mean, he only gave us these natural desires in the way that he designed them to operate. And, you know, we could talk a lot about our physiology and how God made us. It's amazing the more we learn about the way the brain works, that there's, the, there's these chemicals inside the brain that chemicals like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin and uh, all of these different, there's hormones and, and chemicals that, that reside within the brain. And, and what they do is that they trigger, they, they, they light up the pleasure centers of our brain when we're stimulated with things that feel what? That feel good. Now, let me ask you, who made us that way? God did. There's no mistake that he created us to respond to things that bring us pleasure. See, we forget this. Again, we think that when it comes to things like uh, human sexuality and uh, food and um, just uh, whatever it may be across the board, anything that gives, us, that gives us pleasure, we think that those things are what? Naturally bad. We just have a, a negative connotation surrounding those things, unfortunately. But we got to remember, we, need to, we cannot forget that God was the one who created us this way physiologically so that the pleasure centers of our brain are rewarded when we feel good and then the uh, other parts of our brain are triggered when something bad or negative happens to us or we feel bad and that's the way that God created us so that we will, we will tend to want to pursue those things that make us feel what? feel good and try to avoid and neglect the things that make us feel bad. This is the way that, that God made us. And so we don't need to forget that these things in and of themselves are not bad, but God gave us these things to enjoy within a certain context, and he designed them for us to enjoy his way. And that is where our problems really begin. It's amazing when you begin to study the human brain. The human brain is, is called, it has, it has plasticity. That means it's, it's pliable. You know, that we have these, what are called neural pathways that work through our, through our brain. And what those neural pathways are is that every time you reinforce a pleasure center of the brain, you build another road to that part of the brain through that pleasure. And so over time, you begin to build pathways, pleasure roads, basically, to these parts of the brain that make us feel good. And so it just stands to reason, if you're not careful, that if you're doing things that are not good, sinful things to, to derive that pleasure, you're creating those pathways so that only those things which are not good for us, only those things are able to trigger those pleasure centers. Does that make sense? So you're building roadways, basically. You're mapping your brain by the choices that you make. You reinforce those choices. You do them over and over and over again to the point to where you can't do anything else to make yourself feel what? To feel good. But God created us in a way to, to map our brain, to build these pleasure, these, these uh, neural pathways in our brain so that we're doing things that are good, that he, good things that he gave us that can bring us pleasure, and when we do that, then we're setting ourselves up for healthy neural pathways so that we're only pursuing and wanting to go back to those things that are good and beneficial to us in order to make ourselves feel what? Feel good. That's what we're talking about here. And so notice all of the things that Solomon is looking for to try to give himself pleasure and satisfaction and meaning in life. Obviously, we have sexual pleasure that he talks about here, and I'm not going to go into the exploits of Solomon's uh, illicit relationships that he had, but it, he was grossly um, indulgent. 
he couldn't get enough. And he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And I mean, this was just a gross misrepresentation of what God designed from the beginning. Because what did God design for marriage? He said, marriage shall be between what? A man and a woman for life. The two shall become one flesh. Until death do they part. What God's joined together, let no man separate. Okay? And so, again, the pleasure center of the brain that is triggered by, in, by physical intimacy is only designed God's way and is only to be enjoyed and only to be expressed one way, and that is in the context of what? Marriage. Healthy marriage. But Solomon took it too far. He, he, tried, to, he tried to obtain pleasure and so many different other ways by adding onto all of these other different relationships to his life. And boy, let me tell you what, not only did it leave him wanting and, and unsatisfied, but he brought so many more sin and consequences into his life, into his family, and the whole kingdom of Israel because of the uh, relationships that he allowed into his life. You see, because it's not just always about that physical intimacy and pleasure, but it's all about what's attached to it. And Solomon blew it big time. But don't forget who created us to want to enjoy this kind of pleasure. God did. But he's saying, I'm wanting you to enjoy it one way. One way. Solomon said, I tried my hand at wine. Cheering myself with wine and food and drink and alcohol and, and all of these things. And let's think about that for a second. I mean, all of us, uh, many of us probably, how many of you in the room like to comfort eat? Anybody want to be honest about that? I do. Maybe you get anxious, maybe you get stressed, and you're just like, I just want to go get some ice cream, or I just want to go eat a meal, or whatever it may be, and you just try to, you try to comfort eat. And what you're doing when you eat that meal, what does it do? It produces these chemicals in your brain to give you a sense of satisfaction and what? Pleasure. Eating a good meal feels what? Feels good. Right? It's always a good idea when you walk into the fast food restaurant going in, but it's a really bad idea when you're on the way out, Right? Well, who gave us the gift of food and drink? God did. Even alcohol, again, I mean, there's, there's some people that are just like, look, I, I'm just, I don't want to have anything to do with alcohol. I know my personality. I don't need to ever touch it. I'm, that's, that's 100% fine. But guys, nowhere in the Bible is there a condemnation to drink alcohol. Alcohol is considered over and over and over again in the Bible as a, a gift from God to be enjoyed in times of celebration and weddings and festivals and all of these kind of things. So there's no prohibition against enjoying a glass of wine or a beer or something like that. And I'm sorry, I know there's people that disagree with me on that, but you can't prove that to me in Scripture. It's just, it's nothing wrong with that. What, what does the Bible prohibit, though? Getting what? Getting drunk. So when you, when you take that, that gift from God that can be enjoyed in a very responsible way, and you take it too far, and you give yourself over to that, then it crosses over into something that is sinful, that is wrong. And you run the risk of becoming addicted or becoming dependent upon that substance. Again, because if you get drunk enough and you feel good enough, guess what? You're creating neural pathways in your brain, and then the only way you can get that feeling is to get what? To get drunk, to drink alcohol, or to use drugs. Same thing. And food is the same way. And then it's interesting to me that he mentions he has, he has uh, singers. He, he, brought, he brought into his court singers and musicians to, to entertain him, right? And we think about how God gave us the gift of music. God gave us the gift of music. And I'll get to this a little bit later in, in my message, but, but music is meant to be something that, that invokes some type of positive emotion in us and ultimately, what is music given to us for? For what? For praising God, right? The, the, the highest form of expression of music is worship. It's to worship him. It's like, I've given you this gift, this wonderful music, and we see in, our, in a culture today how music has been just taken and completely perverted, used for other means and purposes. God's like, I've given you the gift of music. I've given you the gift, gift of physical intimacy and marriage. I've given you the gift of food and drink. 
nothing wrong with these things, guys. This is how we were created. But something happened. What happened? Simple. The devil came in and he said, look, I'm going to take every single thing that's good from God and I'm going to take it. I'm just going to pervert it. I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to poison it a little bit. So that when you do it my way and not God's way, it still feels good. Still feels good. But little do we know that as the devil takes it and he corrupts it and he perverts these things, these perversions become destructive expressions of idolatry. And what happens is is that little bit of tainting, that little bit of poisoning that Satan takes, it's like, here, I want you to take these things like sexuality and food and drink and music and and all of these things in between, and I'm going to offer them to you, and they're still going to make you feel good and give you pleasure but what, it, what happens in the end is that I've poisoned it just enough so that, number one, it leaves you empty after you've done it so that you always have to what? You've always got to come back for a little bit more. And the next time you have to come back for a little bit more. And you're never satisfied. And so de- the devil has come in and he's, he's corrupted all of God's Good gifts, and so let's talk about these things in in a practical way. So, so let's talk about sexual expression. I know we may have some young people in the room. I'm not going to get graphic or anything, but these are things that we have to be honest about, and you got to talk to your kids about it because I promise you, if they have a smartphone right now, they're hearing something about all of this. It's just not from the right source. They're hearing it from their friends. They're hearing it from their TikTok. They're hearing it from their social media. They're hearing it in the schools. Parents, we got to get on top of this and tell them the true expression and the true meaning behind these things, these good gifts that God gave us, okay? So what have we seen in our culture and our world is that sexual expression in a love relationship in a marriage context now has been perverted into what we call lust, sensuality. And let's think about all of the problems and issues that come along with us adopting this mentality of objectifying women and looking at other people as simply what they can uh, be used for and the sensuality in our culture and the lust-driven culture that we live in. We have things like fornication, pornography is just destroying, destroying our culture, homes, families, children, marriages. Pastors, churches. We have sins like sexual abuse, adultery. All of these things are are consequences of the sinful culture, the corruption and the perversion of what God took that was good. Remember, good in the context of marriage. Now the devil's going to come around and say, "No, wait a minute. I have. I want you to give it to you a different way, another way, my way." And when we do that and we operate in those things, it creates all of these secondary consequences. And not only does it separate us from God, because these are sinful things, these are things that God clearly has told us are sinful, they're wrong, they're not good for you, right? I mean, you read God's word, it's not, he doesn't mince words about what he desires for us, how we are supposed to express ourselves in physical intimacy. He makes it very, very clear, however, we have bought into the lie. And so then you have the exploitation of women and children. You've got this whole thing with human trafficking going on right now that the world just kind of, it kind of popped up for a little while and we all got, started thinking about it and, and then, you know, just kind of, it kind of went away again and we forget how many, you know, there's more human slaves alive on the earth today than there's ever been in the history of mankind. Today, most of them are women and young boys and young girls. And most of them are being used, unfortunately, and exploited in the sex trafficking industry. Where does that come from? Why is that such a big industry in our world today? You know what the num- you know who the number one um, importer of this industry is? What country? We live in right in it. Why does the United States have such a big market for such perversion like that? It's because love that was supposed to be expressed in the context of marriage and in physical intimacy done God's way has been corrupted and perverted into lust. And lust never what? Satisfies. You can never get enough. 
So one perversion goes to another perversion goes to another perversion, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse until finally they're just kidnapping children and trafficking them all around. And I, I hate to say that, and I know it's a, a taboo topic, and nobody wants to think about it, guys, but it's real. And then you have things like STDs and, and abortion, and these are also secondary issues of, of this whole perverted culture, sexualized, hypersexualized culture that we live in. Not to mention, guys, and this is something that, that God had to reveal to me, and it just broke me down, is that, is that when you participate in any type of illicit sexual activity outside the context of marriage, that is straight from the devil. It is a demonic spirit. So it's not just the physical act that's going on or, the, or whatever it is that you're, you're participating in, but there's also a spiritual component to that because these are demonic spirits that are trying to get into your life. If you open yourself up to it, they're going to come where? Right in. They're going to, they're going to, you open a, you, you give them an inch, they're going to take it all. They're going to try to come right into your life and you begin to understand that you're under this influence of a demonic spirit. This oppression and this, this fellowship, this partnership that we begin to have with demons. Serious stuff. So it's, it's, it's so much more than just physical. It becomes emotional, mental, and spiritual. Let's talk about, let's talk about food for just a second. Because, you know, it's, it's easy for us to point the finger at sexual immorality. But, man, we worship food. In this culture. We overeat. We eat unhealthy. Many of us struggle with overeating and, and gluttony. And, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean whether you're heavy set or thin, it doesn't matter. I've seen very skinny people who are gluttons. Just because you may be thin doesn't mean you're not a glutton. I've seen that too. So don't think that it's just by the way somebody may look or how much they weigh on the scale. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking food and indulging in food and overeating food. That's called what? It's a sin. It's called gluttony. God never desired us to indulge in food that way or drink alcohol. Or if you want to take it a step further, one of the biggest issues that we're dealing with right now that comes to this perversion that Satan is doing in our culture is that he is offering us a way to be filled not with the Holy Spirit, but to be filled with drugs. See, what the Holy Spirit wants to offer you is peace and euphoria and happiness and joy and satisfaction and, you know, all of these wonderful things that we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. But then the devil comes around and says, hey, you just take this and it'll make you feel like you are in heaven for about 15 or 20 minutes. I mean, you're going to feel like you've never felt before. It's going to be the greatest feeling you've ever had. You think getting saved or baptized or worshiping in the spirit, or you think that was great, man. You have no idea. Just take this little substance. It'll get you so high. It'll make you feel so good. You'll feel like you're invincible, and it'll make you feel that way for about 15 or 20 minutes, maybe an hour tops. And then you're going to feel like, the worst person in the world. And the only thing you're going to think about is how can I what? How can I feel like that again? You see, do you know the Bible talks about illicit drug use? The Bible talks about it. The Bible calls it pharmakia. Let me read to you a, first, a couple of verses. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is talking about the, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the carnal nature. And he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. It's sexual immorality, we've talked about that, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and sorcery. Sorcery. Envy, drunkenness, things like these. The word sorcery in the Greek literally is pharmakia. Now there's one on every single corner. It's like a CVS and a Walgreens and they're on every single corner, and there are, there are very good, useful applications for medication. I get that 100%. I'm not accusing every pharmacy for being, you know, servants of the devil and 
peddling drugs to everybody. However, you know, there are some questions about, you know, over-medicating people, and I'm not getting into that question, but let's just talk about illegal, illicit drugs for just a second. Is that this is something that is straight from, it is a very strategic plan of the enemy. Is that if I can just get these substances that are chemically compounded, it's called, it's a, it's a, it's a science, it's a, it's a, it's an occult practice is what it is. It's learning how to use the, the things of this world and mix them together in such a way to where it makes people want them high. It gives them, they get addicted to it, and it's a way that the devil can get some type of a what? A stronghold on your life. And for some people, all it takes is what? One time. And they're, they're, they're hooked. And then for other people with this stuff called fentanyl that's coming across our border, all it takes is one time, and you're dead you didn't even know you you took it and all of a sudden you're dead and so that's what this pharmacia really is all about it's it's something that that the book of revelation talks about it says he's talking in the revelation listen to this it says with such violence the great city of babylon will be cast down so it's talking about this harlot babylon the world system devil's playground right listen to what it says it says um, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. How many people are deceived today because they have begun to get addicted and, and that the claws, the stronghold of addiction have gotten into their life so much that they are now beholden to drugs. It's sorcery. So Satan has taken all of these things, and he's even taken music, and I love music. He's taken sexuality, he's taken food and drink, he's, he's introduced drugs to our culture, um, and now we look at the seductive and exploitive forms of, forms of music promoting sin, idolatry, self-worship, and rebellion. Now listen, I'm not one of those guys that says you can only listen to worship music and K-Love and that's it and you can't listen to any other alternative forms of music. I'm just not that guy. I love all types of music. Okay? But, but hear me when I tell you this, guys. Music, music is powerful. Music is one of the most powerful mediums in the world. You know what music does? It's amazing that when and you can be subconsciously listening to music and you're not even paying attention to the what? To the words of the music, but the beat and the syncopation and the rhythm and all of these things are designed many times and subconsciously it's conditioning your brain what to believe, how to think, which ultimately will lead you to do something that you may never do or something that's wrong. And you look up and you're like, how could I ever do that? Or why would I ever do that? And you don't realize that you may be listening to music that is just subliminally planting messages into your head, into your heart, whether you're paying attention to the words or not, or maybe you are. Isn't it amazing how you can remember the lyrics to a song from back when you were six years old? And I can't even remember what happened yesterday. But the, the somehow that music gets it where? It gets it into your head and into your heart. Satan has taken the platform, the medium of music, and he has perverted it so that it influences us and subconsciously tells us how to think, what to believe, and ultimately can influence what we do and how we behave. It's very, very powerful. And if you think about some of the most famous musicians in the world today, and you go and you start to look at their lives, guys, you know what's fascinating to me? is that many of these musicians, basically without saying it out, outright, they basically will tell you, I had to sell my soul to the devil in order to reach this place of fame and fortune and uh, popularity. Okay, so if, they, if, if that's real, which I think that stuff's real, if they really have compromised their soul in order to have this fame and fortune and notoriety and popularity, then who in the world are they going to be serving in their musical industry? They're going to be serving the devil, I'm sorry. And they can package it in the most clever ways possible and make you think it's the greatest song ever. And even country music is, is sometimes the worst. Because I love some country music. I mean, they make it sound so good, oh boy, and everything's great and down home and 
all this kind of stuff, and yet sometimes the messages that are being communicated in some of this country music, guys, I'm telling you, it's not of God. Now, let me just give you my rule, okay? Again, I'm telling you, I listen to all kind of types of music. Here's the, basically the way I want you to look at music. Music is only going to lead you one of two ways. It's either going to lead you more into the light, or it's going to lead you more into the what? That's where you have to have the Holy Spirit. And as you listen to music, ask yourself that question. Okay, God, is this song leading me more into the light to you? Is it, is it producing positive energy in my life? Is it, is it pushing me toward good things in my life, promoting good things? Or is this song leading me more into the dark? Whatever your answer to that question is will tell you whether or not that music should be part of your life. Simple as that. And so we see all of these things happening in our world today. And here's the thing that I want to just hammer down. We're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up really quickly in just a minute. But, but the, the third point I have for you today is that, guys, worldly pleasures, they're fleeting. And they're empty. And here's the thing. For that 10 minutes or 15 minutes or maybe hour of pleasure, that high, that that good feeling of whatever it is that you're searching, you're trying to, to, to get that satisfaction from, from what the world is trying to offer you, okay, guess what you're going to get after that? You're going to get a lifetime of pain and suffering. You're going to get a lifetime of destruction and consequences. Because what is it about sin? Sin will always take you further than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and it always costs you more than you're willing to pay every single time. But we get so caught up in the moment that we're going to just give ourselves to this pleasure. We're going to give ourselves to this sin. And we're going to try to just, just enjoy this pleasure for this moment. And we're not thinking about what's going to happen in the morning when we wake up. Or the week after when we have to face the consequences. Or the destructive things that it's causing us in our relationships. Or, or whatever it may be. Maybe it even costs you your life. But we're not thinking about that in the moment. And guys, what, what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, and I, I think I read this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I just want to share it with you again, is that listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 2. He says, he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now listen to what he says. And the world is, listen, the world and its desires are what? Passing away. Let me say that again. The world and its desires, the world and the pleasure it offers you, the world and the temptations that come to us, they are fleeting, they're empty, they're passing away away they are, there's no substance to them there's nothing that's long lasting to them but the whoever will do the will of God will abide forever so when we look at this guys there's really basically three there's three fronts that we're that we're fighting and in the book of first Peter listen to what Peter says he says beloved I urge you as foreigners and exiles what is he saying this world is not our home we're out of place. We should, we should feel like we're foreigners. We should feel like we're, we're, we're not home, we're, that we don't belong in this world. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't. He's saying, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh which war against your soul. We are at what? At war. And there's three fronts of this war. I'm just going to tell them to you real quickly. Okay, you ready? The first front is the world. It's the system that we're in, okay? Can we get out of it? I don't think so. I mean, maybe can you just go off and be a, a prepper and just go live off the grid and, and completely isolate yourself? You can go join an Amish community. Seriously. I mean, they probably have it right more times than not. The way that they live, they, 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 they separate themselves from the what? From the world. But if you don't choose to be Amish... You're in it, right? So the world is constantly warring against your soul. So that's coming at us from an from a outside-in kind of attack, okay? Then you got your flesh. 
Your flesh is that sinful nature, unfortunately, that's still there even after you, you have a, a relationship with Christ. It doesn't immediately just what? Go away. You're still, you're still battling that. So that war is taking place where? Within you. It's the desires, it's the pride, it's, it's all of the stuff that's inside of us that we're fighting against, right? And we, we have help from God, the Spirit helps us. So we're fighting a battle on the outside, and we're fighting a battle on the inside, and then you have the crafty little snake, the devil, who's working both fronts. Because he's operating things on the outside, and then he also comes and plants seeds where? On the inside. Those are the three fronts that we're fighting when it comes to the things that the world is trying to offer us, guys, and it wars against our soul. And so here's what I just want to tell you guys. Listen, hear me out. God is not trying to keep anything good from you or from me. Do you see here? You know why sin, I've often wondered this, why is sin called unbelief? Did you know that? In the Bible it says sin is nothing more than what? Unbelief. Why is that? It's because when I choose sin, here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, God, I don't believe that you know what's best for me. I don't believe you, God. I don't believe you're good. I don't believe you want what's best. I don't believe you want to give me every good and perfect gift. I'm going to go over here and get it somewhere else because I don't believe that you're enough for me. And so, therefore, we don't choose God. We choose what? Sin. That's why sin ultimately is unbelief. But, guys, let me tell you something. God is not holding back. Don't buy into the lie that God wants to take your life and, and strip all the fun out of it and take all the joy out of your life and be a buzzkill and all of that kind of stuff. You know what God wants to do, guys? He wants to give you life and give it what? Abundantly. He wants to fill you with so much pleasure. God still wants you to enjoy what? Pleasure. He's just saying, do it my way. It's the good way. You won't have all of these negative consequences. You won't have all of this destruction and all this pain that you have to go through because I want you to do it my way, and I want to give you good gifts, and I want you to enjoy life, and I'm not holding anything back from you. As a matter of fact, I want what is what? Best for you. That's what God wants for us, guys, and we're so quick to believe the lie. I am. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They will be satisfied. And so here's my last point. I want you to turn to Psalm 16 with me as we finish up. Go, go look real quick to Psalm chapter 16. Some of you may be familiar with this psalm. It speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. Peter quotes this psalm when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, when he's talking about how Jesus, um, his body will not suffer decay. It's this picture of the, of the body of Christ being laid in the tomb but, but did not decay, didn't de decompose in the grave. It's, a, it's a, great, a great picture of that. But I want you to go down to verse 9, and I want you to, to read this with me as I, as I wrap this whole thing up. Is that My last point is this, guys. Jesus offers us the only real satisfaction in life and in the life to come. Because he wants to give us pleasure. Listen to me. God wants to give you pleasure. How long? Forevermore. The world wants to give you pleasure that is temporary and fleeting and empty. God says, I have a much better alternative. Is that I can also give you pleasure that will make you feel good and will make you feel whole and it will keep you in fellowship with me and you can enjoy this pleasure both now and how long? forevermore like when you look at it that way you're like man it's, it's not even a it's not even a contest here like I, I should choose God every single time shouldn't we but we don't it's like what's wrong with me isn't that what Paul said oh wretched man that I am who can save me from this body of death isn't that what the apostle Paul says man the things that I want to do I what I don't do and the things that I don't want to do I do man I'm so messed up so am I 
But God understands that. Like he, he's still merciful and patient with us and he, and he loves us and he wants us to be honest about those things and bring our fears and insecurities to him. But he's saying, if you'll come to me, guys, I will give you pleasure and I'll give it to you forever more. Listen to what it says in Psalm 16 and I'll wrap up here. Psalm 16, 9. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. Listen, God makes known to us the path of what? Life. Life, not death. The devil and the world and the flesh, that will only lead us to what? Death. God says, no, I'm giving you the way to life, the good life. He says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Okay, in God's presence there's what? Fullness of joy. God is not a joy killer, he's a what? Joy filler. And it says, listen, at your right hand are pleasures. How long? Forevermore. Now, when you see the Father on the throne, who's sitting at his right hand? That's the, that's the title for Jesus. He's at the right hand of the Father. What God is saying, at your right hand, there's Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, he says, if you come to me, I will give you joy, and I will make your joy complete. And at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we think about the fruit of the Spirit, this is what, let me ask you this. If we were just to, I'll tell you what, let's, let's wrap up here. I know I'm going a little bit long, but let's, let's just do this. I want to I compare these things. Go to, go to Galatians 5, and, and we're going to finish right here. Go to Galatians 5 with me. Let's just, let's just make, a, let's make a comparison, okay? This, this is where I'm going to close this. I don't think there's any better way to say it, okay? God's not a joy killer. He wants so much more for us, guys. And most of us, most of us are, not, are not experiencing the fullness of joy that he wants for us. I'm speaking for myself. Galatians 5, you ready? Verse 16, let's just, let's read it together. This is our, this is our application for the day, right? If you had to choose between one of the two uh, lists right here, which one do you want to choose, all right? Should go without saying, but let's just read them together. For I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are at war with each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are evident. What are the works of the flesh? Sexual immorality. Solomon said, I tried it all. He's, he's tried everything, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is he saying there? He's saying those who decide that that is what they want and they give themselves fully over to that life and over to that um, desire and over to the devil's way, he's saying those people, if you make that decision, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean if we've ever participated in those things or if we've ever done some of those things because as I read that list, I've been on that list plenty of times. But the difference is, is that I know it's what? It's wrong. I don't want it. I hate it. Even if I failed at that and struggled at that, I don't want it. Now, let's continue. But the fruit of the Spirit. Here's your list. You ready? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And what? Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Because they're good. There's no law against those things because they're good. He says, 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited in provoking one another, envying each other. Let's ask our praise team to come on up, guys, as we as we wrap this up and all I know to say after a message like this is what is it going to take for us to learn? Let me ask that question again. What's it going to take for us to finally get it right? We could learn by reading the words of Solomon. You know, you can learn from other people's mistakes. You don't have to repeat them. Hey, Solomon, he tried everything, pleasure, every pleasure under the sun. He did not deny himself. What did it leave him in the end? Empty. Was Solomon satisfied with these things? We, should, we could learn from Solomon, but you know what? Most of us don't. I'm hard-headed. Some of you are hard-headed like me. So you know what? Then we have our own experience, and we have to go out and learn the what? The hard way. And so many of us, we, unlike Solomon, we don't listen to him. We go out and we try to do the very same things. We go out and try to find meaning and satisfaction ourselves, and we learn that it doesn't work either. It leaves us empty and unsatisfied. So guys, it's not about the mistakes that you've made in the past and the things that you've done wrong. Here's the thing. God is saying, I know you messed up. I know you went off into the world. I know you tried to do things your way. I know you tried to find pleasure in all of these other things. But he's saying, I'm not as upset about the fact that you did those things. He's saying, but I want you to learn from them. Learn from your mistakes and don't what? Don't make them again. Don't continue to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. That's what God is wanting from us. That's what he's asking from us. What is it going to take for you and me to finally get it? I don't know. Everybody's different. Some of us are more hard-headed than, than others. But the sooner that we can get this right with God, what does God want for us? He wants to give us fullness of joy. That's all that he wants. He's like, I'm, I'm ready to give you all this good stuff. Everything good comes from that. That's all he wants. He wants what's best. So as we sing this last song, guys, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. And I just want to ask you that whatever it may be that you're still holding on to, whatever that, that sin or that temptation or that struggle may be that you're battling, you're still at war with, don't, don't quit. Don't give up. Maybe you've been trying to, to overcome in your own strength and you're tired and you're losing that battle, God says, come to me. Just, just come to me. If you're weary, you're burdened, just come to me. Give it to me. I will help you overcome. So we invite you to come today, whatever that may be. You, you just do business with God wherever you may be. As we sing this very last song, I'm going to ask you to stand as we go.